my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true and it is all that I need. That's right. Okay, John chapter 8. Tom's words to me today were, oh, there's a lot of verses in there today. <laughs> there was, I, th- I think, in fact, he knew. He knew exactly how many. Not only did, did he count them, what did he say? Yeah, there's 59, 59 verses tonight. <laughs> so I know, there's a lot, and we don't want to miss the one. And, but John is, don't you find John is just loaded? And, and he is, you can tell again, the only review I'm going to do tonight is to remind you that John wrote this gospel so that we would know who Jesus is. You know, we love the stories, we love the miracles and all that, but he wants us to see that all that this gospel that he wrote is about, that we have to get to know him, because the more that we know him, it affects every area of our life. So, now, John chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So, after he had that whole, again, he is just battling those Pharisees, those Jewish leaders, continuously now. And they are, you know, still trying to seize him. They want him out of the way. They want him killed. And even, you know, last week, they even tried the temple guards, you know, go get him. We can't see him. He seems to slip away from us. You go get him. And then when, when the temple guard comes without him, they say, well, where is he? If you can't get him, who can get him? You know, but we know that Jesus' timing is not when they can get him, but when he hands himself over. That's all there is to it, when he knows the time is right. And the, and the temple guards, you know, because they had seen and heard it all, and they knew there was something about Jesus, and they just, they just didn't want to get him. They just didn't want to take him. And so, again, then they were ridiculed, and they were put down. You mean he's deceived you also? And I think, you know, you can see the Pharisees' heart. If it didn't go their way, then, then they mock and ridicule and put people down. And you can just see that there were just such blow bags. They're just so, so um, surface. They just, it was all about what people saw on the surface. And they had a lot of people buffaloed, yeah. But when you hear John write about them, it's so obvious. And I think what a lesson for us. We can act so squeaky clean. We can act so pious and religious. But you know what? When, when we're together with families, and sometimes even difficult members to families, this is when we really can tell how much he's changing us. Are we really seeing his character coming through our lives? And so, um, you know, he, after they dispersed and they went to their different homes after this whole ordeal, then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. And there, all the people gathered. And I thought, at dawn. I mean, that's getting up early, folks. That's getting, this is like a sunrise service, you know? And there, they want, they want it. They want to hear. They want to learn. And that's such a key attribute. You know, if, if you're starting to look at Monday nights and hopefully Sundays, and the, I hope you're starting whenever you can learn, whenever you can take in more, I hope you're starting to, to feel the excitement and the desire instead of, oh, just one more night out, oh, I got to go. I hope you're starting to see that element of excitement, like, I wonder what he's going to teach me today that I can use for tomorrow. Because every day is a preparation for tomorrow. And none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring, but he's going to get us prepared tonight. And so, anyway, they're willing to come at dawn, and they're willing to gather at his feet, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, we know this story so well. 
But I hope, and you're reading it every day, I hope you're starting to stop and picture and starting to what this must have looked like because that first verse, the thought of Jesus standing there and the people coming early and they're, they're sitting anxious, anxiously awaiting for what he's going to teach them. I mean, how, what a, what a great thing that is. And then all of a sudden, the picture changes. All of a sudden, you know, you have these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, and I want to be a, I want to, I want to be a bit surprised if they had her by the neck or they had her by the hair and they were just yanking her along. I mean, it was it shameful when you think about it. I mean, she was a, she is a human being that they were tossing around, and they were yanking her over there. So the whole picture changed, and all of a sudden these, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, had this woman caught in adultery. Now, you know, I don't care. I'm sure you've been wondering this, and I don't have an answer to it, except that they didn't want to go after the man. They just wanted this woman, because if, as far as I'm concerned, it takes two to tangle. And, and somehow, there, there, is no, there is no man in the picture, you know? And the sad thing, the more I study this, and, you know, and I don't want to get into the whole thing about it, but, but yet, this was a hard one to try to, to, try to um, say for sure, because not it, they couldn't use this as evidence. Well, they saw her come out of his house, or they saw them go in, or all that. No, that wasn't good enough. They had to be caught in the act. I mean, that just makes me sick. But anyways, they were out to get her. Now, whether they really did catch her in the act, then, you know, who, who did they see? You go in there and check, see what they're doing in there. I mean, you get into that story. This is, this is just beyond normal. It's just plain beyond normal. And so they, they, they say they got her. They make her stand there. They make her stand there. They accuse her before that whole group of people that probably their mouths are dropped open because they came to learn and to study with Jesus. And all of a sudden, here comes these Pharisees. And, you know, the atmosphere has changed. That poor woman, you know, she's standing there and she's ashamed. She's, you know, she's embarrassed. Her head's probably down. Who knows, like I said, if they really, really did catch her. You know, they were just out as very, you know, I mean, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap. It's a trap. They were out to get Jesus. They could care less about this woman. How heartless is that? How heartless to just yank her there, make her stand there, accuse her of all this. All for a trap so that they don't have to be threatened anymore by him. Oh, you talk about self being all-consuming in this story. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, in their pious, religious, crabby-faced attitude, they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Now, typical, they thought they had him with this one. But they don't know him, do they? That's what I've been saying week after week after week. The difference in all of us is how much we know him. And you can tell right away how much you know him by what's coming out of you, your thinking, your Everything, how much you know. My Tom and I were talking on the way home last night from church, and I said, you know, the more you know them, we should be dancing in the streets. I mean, literally, we should be just, because we had come out and we had just sung, well, come all you faithful, come let us adore him. And when you know them, you should be dancing in the streets. Our whole idea of critical and negative and all that, there shouldn't even be any worry, fear. There shouldn't even be any. Not that we like everything about our life, but we shouldn't be worried about it. We shouldn't be panicked about it. 
There should be really no negativity, no, because after all, look what we have in Christ Jesus. Not anything what we deserved, but we have it. And these men of all, these religious leaders, they should be absolutely the opposite of what they are. And, you know, again, you can just say it so with your words, but if it's not coming out of your life, that's what you got to check. If it's not changed, if you can't look back and say from a few months ago, I'm different. John is getting a hold of my heart, and I'm hearing Jesus talk to me. And he is changing me, and I, I want to be changed. I want to be healed. I don't want to be like that invalid that didn't care. I want the Savior of the world to do a number on me so that I can live this life to others, not only for myself, but for others. So now, what do you, so now what, what do you got to say for yourself, Jesus? What are you going to do here? And of course, they thought they had him. They had him trapped. But Jesus bent down. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I wonder how many sermons have been written trying to figure out what he's writing, right? You know, what is he writing down there? But I hope that in your lesson that you looked up Jeremiah um, 17, verse 13, and that, that that helped you to maybe distinguish what what he could be writing and how much he knows because he bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, he knows it's a trap. His heart goes out to this woman who's standing there with her hair probably a mess because they probably pulled it. Yeah, you know what? I do get in this story and I know maybe it sounds silly, but I, I like to picture I like to picture this because this was a sad affair. And I just feel so terrible for this woman because we've all made mistakes. You know, we've all been there. We all need his grace. And we don't even know for sure if they really did catch her. You know, that that's the whole thing. And, and Jesus knows all this too. And he just loves her so much. And, and he, he, that's what he came for. I mean, he came for people like you and me, and he came for her. Because we are all a mess. Because we've all made mistakes. And so, anyway, in Jeremiah 17, verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. I mean, we're going to hear it again tonight, but the last couple of weeks, how hard did Jesus try with these religious leaders? How many times did he repeat? How many times did he say to them, if you don't believe, the wrath of God will come on you? I mean, he has tried every way. And now when he sees their heart and their attitude and the real them, he's writing in the, he's writing because they've turned away, they've forsaken him, they don't want to hear, they don't care. So I would say he's writing plenty. And when they kept on questioning him, you know, he's so, he's so calm. You know, and, and this is this is something that this this character I want to work at because I can I can just feel the rise sometime and you know and Jesus just stands up you know if they, they're badgering him if you really want the word they don't let up on him it says when they kept on questioning and to me it was kept on when anybody keeps on that's badgering. They don't let up on them. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Come on, what are you going to do? I mean, this, this was getting to him. You know, you'd think it would be getting to him, and I'm sure it was, but he's just got such a calm demeanor. And he stands up, he straightens up and said to them, if any, 
one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. See, they don't know. I mean, they, they don't know him because you know that every time they think they got him, he comes back with just the most, the most beautiful statement. And he, it's very direct. It's nothing that they can't understand. He said, okay. And he's not, did you notice he's not condemning them? Because, and he's going to say to this woman, and he's saying the same, if any of you, he's not saying, and you, 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 you. If any one of you has never sinned, well then, oh, by all means, you have every right then to throw the stone. I mean, what a statement. And every one of us knows. And they all knew. And then when he, then when he got done, then he just went back down on his haunches and started writing again. Because he knew their heart. He knew what they were thinking. At this, those, well, he got them thinking. He knew what they were thinking, but he got them thinking. And so they as, as this, those who were heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left standing with a woman still standing there. There again, did you picture that? As, I, bet it was a, I bet it was quiet. I bet all of a sudden the question stopped. All of a sudden they'd have no comeback. Because I'm telling you, when it comes to Jesus' word, I don't care how many yabuts you come at, come at. His word will always, he will always have the last word. There's many instances that, that they would be, they would come, people would come back at him. And then it's like when the, when the story ended, it was like, um, yep, Jesus did have the last word. And, and he always will. He always will. And so now Jesus straightened up. And why they left oldest to the youngest, the only reasoning is that the oldest have been around the block a few more times. And they understand that they have done wrong. They, this got to them. And they, I would say their whole life flashed in front of them. And it probably wasn't very pretty if they were really honest. And so their life flashed in front of them and, and, you know, they had more, the oldest had more, more life to flash. And they probably thought, yeah, yeah, he's got something there. And so one at a time, they left. So then it was just the two of them, just the two of them standing there. And did you notice what he called her? He called her woman. Now, do you remember that he's calling the women that he loves. He's calling them women. He's calling the ones who need him woman, from his mother to the Samaritan woman, and now this adulterous woman. I mean, there, here again, you cannot say that there isn't a sin that we've committed that he isn't willing to forgive. No matter what kind of past, we've seen that with the Samaritan woman, with this woman, no matter what we've done, he is going to forgive. And what's so beautiful is that when he forgives, he remembers it no more. And so all of her past is going to be erased. Women, where are they? Where are your accusers? Where are those ones that dragged you here and made you feel like a piece of slime? Where are those who, who put you down and made you stand there ashamed and embarrassed? You know what? They just walked away admitting that they've made mistakes in their life too. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. 
I'll tell you, the, these moments right here, that had to be the sweetest thing. It had to be the sweetest thing going on right here. It's just Jesus and her. And he is calling her woman. And that's an enduring term. And he's, he's looking at her with the same eyes that Jesus looked at that Samaritan woman with. The kind of eyes that, that are just filled with love and you just can't resist them. And so when Jesus says, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. And what did we learn from John in John 3, 17, when Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world. I came to save it. Now, just a reminder, he came the first time to save the world, right? He's coming the second time to what? Judge the world. That's right. So right now, his first time, his first appearance, his first coming is to save the world. And he didn't come to condemn, came to save her. Now, we can't, we can't just say, oh, isn't that wonderful that he just said, neither do I condemn you. Um, okay, you know, have a good day. You know, have a, he didn't say that. He said to them, okay, go now. In other words, I'm forgiving you, and, and you know, um, I, I did my part. I mean, Jesus knows that he's going to be hanging on a cross in, in the near future, and his bloodshed was going to cover all of our sins. He knows that. So he knows that he is completely going to take care of all of our sins. And so he says, okay, now go Go. I want you to go back. He said, I remember in Luke 7, he told that, that sinful woman, um, go and, and live it up. Live, it, live in peace, he says. You've been, you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us. So all of our sins, we can be cleansed. We don't have to carry them anymore. They're gone. And when we want to bring them back, it's not God's fault. It's our own fault. Because they're gone. And remember, the only sin, the only sin that's not forgivable, and we've said this many times, because there is one. Because he will forgive. He says, even if someone blasphemes my name, I will still forgive them. If they come around and they say, oh, I can't believe what I used to say about you and I used your name in vain and, you know, I can't even believe that the name that I used in my everyday language is the one that saved me. You know, but someone comes around, he'll even forgive those. He'll forgive anyone. The only sin he won't is remember when the Holy Spirit is, is all around and, and he, he perches himself on your shoulder and, and through some way he makes sure you hear about salvation and the cross and your need that, that you're a sinner and you need his grace and he's, that's all he's doing. You might hear it in church, or you might hear it in a Bible study, or you might hear it in a song or whatever, but that's the Holy Spirit's doing. He's making that medium possible so that you're hearing the gospel message. And then, and then you have a chance to say, I want that. Or, no, and I think if we've seen anything, we are seeing in John that there are only two choices here. And so... The sin against the Holy Spirit, when you say no to the Holy Spirit's prompting you that you need a Savior, that is the only sin that is unforgivable because you never come to him in confession and repentance. You never see yourself in need of a Savior. That's the only sin. So this woman, no matter what she's done, no matter who she is, no matter what her reputation is, I don't care. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn you. 
I came to save you. And I want you to go out there. I want you to go live it up. I want you to live in peace. I want you to know that you are cleansed. But then what does he say? I've done my part. I came to make this work for you. I'm the only one that could do this. I'm the only one that could say your sins are forgiven. I'm the only one that can buy you back. I'm the only one that can redeem you. I'm the only one. And I did it. But here's our responsibility. And I think for weeks now, we've been seeing that every one of us has a responsibility. Jesus did his part. And I hope you see it in this simple verse here. I am forgiving you. I am taking this all away. I'm sending you back into life so that you can have it all gone, that you can start over, that you can be born again, that that you can have a whole different kind of life. I made that possible. No one else could have done that for you. I did that for you. But now, this is your responsibility. And what was that? Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Now, you know, we all know that, you know, even though we've been to the cross, I mean, I shudder to think even today how many sins that he was disappointed in me for. But there isn't sins that are willful in my life. I mean, I think about his face and my life and what he's done for me now. I'll tell you, I don't want him to be disappointed in me. And I know I fail, but that look on his face gets me every time. And that's what he's trying to say to her. I've done my part for you, and I did all this for you. But then I expect you to leave your sinful life, that, that life that now you've been convicted of, you've been, you've been cleansed from. You know, and I know I've said this to you before. I know I've used this as an example because I'm still in awe of it. When, when that gal said to me, um, don't tell me not to gossip because I love to and I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, yeah, I was just appalled by that. Once he's convicted you of something and you honestly you told me, I know. I know he says don't, but no one's going to tell me that I can't because I'm going to. To me, that's willful. That's willful sinning. And this is what Jesus is saying. Didn't my sacrifice for you, didn't my 33 years coming as a human being, leaving heaven, didn't that do anything for you? He can cleanse us. He can change us and give us a life. We wish we could have sung tonight so many songs about his grace because it is truly amazing. But what he expects in return is that, that we leave our life of sin. And if you know, you know and I know where my weaknesses are, I know where, where it just seems like it, it's just pulling me to that. And he's saying, the only way that you're going to be able to get through that weakness is to picture me on the cross for you. And if that means anything to you, then that should stop because no temptation is too great if you look to him on the cross for your way of escape. He did his part, and he's expecting her now to do hers. It's like what we said, for God so loved the world that he gave. He did that, that whosoever believes, that's our part. The the second half is our part. Okay, now, now we, (laughs) we get right back into it again. You know, John will give us a little story, a demonstration of of his unconditional love and what he came to do and his character and his compassion. But then it seems like, man, he, he just is pounded with these religious leaders. So when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He's speaking to the people here, and he wants them to know, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me 
will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He pretty much is saying, I'll give you a life that, there's, that you, you can't even hardly put into words. I am the light of the world. And again, whoever, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I had you go to Ephesians because I thought Paul just did such a great job in making sure that we understand about this light and darkness. And he says in Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness. He called you a night darkness. There was a stick of light in you. You were darkness. You were once darkness. But now, because of Jesus, you are the light. You are the light in the Lord. Remember what he called John the Baptist? He called him a lamp. And, and the reason he called him a lamp is because John the Baptist wasn't actually the light, but he reflected the light. And this is exactly what you and I are to do. You are light in the Lord. Light comes out of us, but it's not the light of ourself. It's the light of the one who now lives in us. That's, that's something. You were once dark. You were darkness. But now, but now, because of Jesus and him alone, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. See, now Paul's talking about, all right, you've got a behavior. You've got a responsibility. You've got to start acting like it. You cannot have it both ways. You can't just get that ticket to heaven, you think, and then say, well, I can live my own life. That's not, not if you keep looking at the cross and you realize and know the sacrifice that was paid for you and I. He said, live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's quite a change, you know, when you think about we were once darkness and now because of the light of Jesus, we can live a life that consists of goodness and righteousness. And you know what righteousness means. It's living right. And we should want that. We should want to live right. And truth. We should want to live in truth. And we're going to hear about that word again in a minute. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out. Remember we've been talking in the last weeks about how much do you want to know? Do you want to find out? Are you asking a few questions? Are you seeking? Do you really want to know? And that's what he says. If you want to know more about this, find out. Find out what pleases him. You and I should want to know what pleases the one who did all that for us. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Hmm, that sounds like a change of light to me. It sounds like you've got a whole different priority. You've got a whole different purpose. You've got a whole different way of looking at things when you wake up in the morning. You've got a whole different reason for getting up in the morning. Have nothing to do with that old self, that fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do when you know your weakness is just admit it. I was talking with someone tonight about how it seems like today's, today, in today's world, nobody wants to fess up. Everybody wants to blame everybody else. The reason I am is because, you know, and, and according to scripture here, he's saying expose those things that are bringing you down, that you know you're weak. Because sometimes when you dare admit it, Usually that's, that's 90%. It was when you finally admit it and come to grips with it. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Because I think what we've seen too in the last weeks is Jesus is saying to, to the Pharisees, you might have everybody else fooled, but you don't have me fooled. And he's saying the same thing to you and I. 
for it is light that makes everything visible. The light of Jesus will, when it's turned on in our life, he will kind of show that light and say, "Mm, I, I want this changed. And aren't you glad he doesn't show the light on it all at once. But little bit by little bit, he'll say, hmm, the light's going to shine on that. And that needs to be removed. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful, Paul says, on how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but instead understand, want to know what the Lord's will is. That was Paul's advice. So this is what Jesus is trying to tell the people. The ones that have come and, you know, whether it's, whether it's now, um, you know, the same timing, I don't know. But, but whether they've come back now to hear, I don't know. I don't know. But it's that those groups of people that want to hear, they want to know. Then verse 13, look. Then the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. I mean, they just... I'm sure they heard all what Jesus said, but again, they don't want to know. They don't care. And so instead, they challenge him again. They, can, they, they, they think that, you know, what right have you? It's your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered them. Here we go. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid you know, I don't think Jesus was loud. I don't think he, he was um, screaming or out of control. I think he was very firm, though. Because Jesus, would, when he spoke, remember, the, the, that's why the temple guards, I mean, when he spoke, people could tell. He, he spoke with such conviction and truth and firmness because he was sure. And when he was saying this, he answered them. He, he did not back away from them. He was not intimidated by them. I'm sure he was thinking, oh, here they go, they're interrupted again. I'm just getting into telling them about the light and taking away their darkness. And, oh, here they come again. And he says, even if I testify on my own behalf. My testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. And remember, it's not because they, they um, you know, they couldn't. Because last week, remember, I read you many verses. And that's why Jesus and cried out to them, yes, you do know. Because they did know. But now because they don't meet his, their criteria, they just say, no, 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 it's not you. It's not you. They don't want to know. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going because you don't want to know and you don't care. You judge by human standards. Oh, boy. That's human, isn't it? That's very human nature. You judge. Remember last week where he says, would you stop... Would you stop condemning me because I didn't go to the right schools? I didn't graduate from your rabbi university and all that. Would you stop centering in on that and would you start listening to the content of what I'm saying? How often don't we do that? We're so, we're so you know, looking at the outside that we don't even listen to what he's saying Remember, he said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. But he says here, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. I think about that. I pass judgment on no one. And why do you think he's not passing judgment on no one? Because the first time he came, he came to what? Save. That's right. 
So his main message is not about judging. He knows, oh, I'm coming back to do that. But right now, I want to make sure you know that you can be saved. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. I, I really appreciated that because he knows who he is. And he says, but if I decide to judge, I could because um, my father and I, we wrote the book. We made the rules. We set this all up. And I, I am God. I've told you enough times. I've come from heaven. In one chapter, six times I told you I came from heaven. And so I mean it. I could if I wanted to. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. He's saying, okay, let's go back to that law of yours. Okay, let's say that I do need two. Well, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Aha, I do have two, so sit down and be quiet. I, I just added that, but that's what I would say. <laughs> so there, sit down. <laughs> But they came back, they came back at him and said, where is your father? Oh, man. You know what? Remember last week I said, if they would only ask Mary, would you tell me your story? Would you tell me how this all came? And if they would only believed her story, if they wanted to know enough, they would have heard the astounding story that, that he was from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, coming out of Bethlehem. They would have heard all that, but they didn't want to. When they asked, where is your father? You know, little F little F father, they were pretty much saying, you illegitimate child, you. You had an impure conception. They're still looking for the one who's guilty of getting Mary pregnant before the time. See, that's what they want. They want, they want the smut. And sometimes I think human nature, sometimes I think we like smut. And I just, I just, it just gets me when I think that the human nature would rather hear the gory details instead of hearing the beautiful truth. <laughs> you know, I had that, I've had that happen so many times, but, I, you know, I think of one instance in particular where, I'll tell you, if they can't find smut on you, they'll, they'll, they'll make it up. It's really something how the natural human heart without Jesus really wants to operate. And I'll tell you, I, I want no part of that anymore. And when I can start feeling it come in, because it, it does, I'll tell you, we have got to get rid of it. Because a story like this should just, just make us sick. Jesus comes back and replies, you do not know me or my father. I mean, that had to break his heart to hear, oh, oh, you just want the smutty details. You think that there's, you know, some guy around. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because this time had not yet come. Verse 21, once more, God, wouldn't you think he would be just saying to who to you? But he never does. One more time, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to say it again. I wish they would just rattle your cage. I, I wish you would just hear these words because they are so eternal. I'm going away. And you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. I mean, this is nothing new. He said this to them plenty of times. He is so wanting them to say, what do you mean we can't come? Again, why don't they ask questions? But then again, they ask them, they, they talk amongst themselves. This made the Jews ask, 
Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? I didn't get that, and I did some searching, and I debated so on telling you what I found, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, after what we have been through in our family, and I'm sure some of you have been there or know somebody, but unfortunately, the Jewish culture believed that if anybody took their life, they were automatically going to the absolute lowest level possible. And um, so what they were thinking, because they were so pious, thinking, well, the only way that, you know, that he says that where I go, you cannot come. Well, obviously, that means is he going to kill himself? So then he has to go way to the lowest place. So, and we were not going there. That's what that really meant. See how ugly it is? But he continued kept it cool. <laughs> he said, you, you are from below. Boy, that took nerve. I'm saying, way to go, Jesus. He's not out of control either. He's just stating the fact. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Remember I told you when we started John, I said John says it's so plain that a child can get it. That's about the statement that any child can understand. I told you I told you, if you do not believe, you will indeed die in your sins. You know what I thought there? I wrote this in my Bible. The day of grace will not last forever. They are living it then, and we are living in it now. But the day of grace will not live, will not last forever. And we don't know when that's going to be. That's why Paul says today is the day of salvation because none of us knows when he's going to pull the rug from grace. Who are you, they asked. Who are you? Now, that would have been a legitimate, wonderful question if they really wanted to know. Who are you? If you really want to know, if he, and he can see your heart, so he knows if you really want to know. Oh, he can't wait to tell you. So that, that the question isn't bad. It's just the hearts that asked it. But he answers, all right, let me tell you again just what I have been claiming all along. I have much to say in judgment of you. In other words, he's saying, I know you so well, I could expose you for what you really are. You are pride. You are, you are phony. You are lost. I mean, the words go on and on. I, I could, he's saying, I know you. I could, put, I could put judgment on you right now. But he who has sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. I'm telling the world how they can change, how they can have life eternal, how they can be redeemed, saved from their lostness. Okay, I could do this, but no, my Father just wants me loving you unconditionally, making sure you hear. And I'm also going to tell the world about you. And I think we're, when he says, I have heard, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. I know maybe this is a little far-fetched, but I'm thinking I'm reading this today, and I'm a part of the world, that he wanted the world to hear this black and white message. 
And he wanted, he wanted the black and white message to be, there's going to be a lot of religious people sitting in churches that, that are going to be just like these Pharisees and think they're fine. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And you know what he's talking about there. Oh, yeah. You know, the, remember when the, when the big um, snake, you know, the bronze snake was, when they looked up, when he was, when the bronze snake was lifted up and when the people looked up at it, I mean, that was such a visual. When the Son of Man is lifted up and you look to that, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. You talk about teamwork. That's about the most beautiful team you're ever going to see. But when that way, I want that. I, I want me and the Holy Spirit to be such a team. Because we can be a team. I can hear either what the Holy Spirit is saying to me or I can just hear. I can tune them out and hear just what I'm saying. But the thing is, I've been given every tool possible to do it right. We have a team working with us to keep us walking straight. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Despite the opposition, despite those negative know-it-alls. To the Jews who had believed him, so to those, you know, you believe him, but then, then we have to be trained. We, that's what we're doing now. We can say we believe, but we can't just leave it there. We've got to be trained. We've got to keep, we've got to keep at this. If you hold, if you hold to my teaching, if you uphold my teaching, you are really my disciples. It's not just about getting your ticket to heaven and living your own kind of life. No, I can tell whether you're ticket to heaven because it costs so much to get that ticket, then you want to live your life according to the teachings of his word. That, that shows me who are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of the, the cross story, the truth of the resurrection story, the truth of our future story. That's the truth. God's word, the truth. I can tell that you are my disciples if you want to know the truth. And the more you know this truth, it will set you free. I found this, and I just have to pass because I just love the way this, this read. Freedom in Jesus. No money can buy it. No status can obtain it. No words can earn it. Nothing can match it. When you're living in freedom, when you wake up every morning, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That his will, my life is perfect even though I don't always like it or understand it, but that he holds me in the palm of his hand. I'm his child. That truth sets us free from worry and panic and fear and from the old self. It sets us free. I'm going to say it again. Freedom in Christ. No money can buy, no Status can obtain it, no words can earn it, and nothing can match it. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Aren't those just smart mouths? I mean, you just want to swat them. After he says something so beautiful like that, if you want to know the truth, the truth will set you free. And living in freedom, is there's nothing like it. Nothing matches to it. They come back and say, we are Abram's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. 
How can you say that we shall be set free? You know what they were really saying? Don't need it, don't want it. I'm okay. That's basically what they're saying. Don't need it, don't want it, and I'm good in my own self. You talk about how deceptive self can be, what a liar the enemy is. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Here's another piece of truth that you don't want to miss. Everyone. Here's one of those words. I hope you stopped right there and realized everyone, everyone, you, me, everyone, without, it, without Jesus, let's say this is the way we were without Jesus, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Without Jesus, guess what? You can't help it. <laughs> you're going to be, you're, you're just plain sinning and you can't help it. It's only once you have a Savior that now, and then you have his spirit. Now, now you've been given a choice because he's going to whisper wisdom in one ear and you're going to be screaming and hearing yourself with folly in the other ear. And then you got to choose who is going to win. But before Jesus, guess what? You, you were hearing folly all around you. Remember what Jesus said to his brothers last week when, he's, when, when they didn't believe in him, of course, and he said, you do, you do whatever you want because your time is your own. You do what you want, when you want, how you want. I tell you the truth, everyone, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs. A son belongs to it forever. So he's using that analogy. A slave doesn't have any place in the family, but a son, a child, oh, they have great value in that family. So, if the son, capital S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants. Physically, yeah, I know. You're from Jewish descent. You're from Abraham's Genesis 12, started the whole ball. I know. I know physically you are Abraham's descendants, but not spiritually. Yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. You have no room for my word. Do you know that God's word should have a place within our inmost. It should have a place of high honor. It should have a place of trust and it should rule us. It should have a place of love. It should have a permanent place. He knew, he knew what he was saying when he said, yet you, even though you're physically descendants of Abraham, you certainly aren't spiritual descendants of him because you're ready to kill me and you have no room for the truth. Of my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you've heard from your father, little F. That's all you want to listen to is the world, the world's view, your view. It's all you're listening to. It's all about you. Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, then that means that Abraham would have taught you because he was such a mentor, he was such an example, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Abraham listened and he obeyed. When I told Abraham to leave and he said, where? And I said, uh, I'm not telling you, just, um, just follow. And he said, okay. Did he understand it? Did he like leave in everything that was familiar and, and easy and, and comfortable? He's trying to say, you know, the man that you claim, well, you don't act a bit like him. But instead, you know, you think that he's exposing them. So, no, no, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. To me, that didn't make any sense at all. They don't even know what they're talking about. Well, Jesus confronts them. 
Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Did she just love that? Why? I'm putting it as plain as can be. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You are unable. You don't want to. You belong to your father, the devil. Oh, okay. Now, now he is pulling out all the stops, if you ask me. Because you either, you either have God as your father, or guess what? Your father is the devil. Oh, man, I thought this, this was brutal. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. We know that of the devil. We know that Satan, his whole goal is to keep us from Jesus. His whole goal is to destroy us. Why? Because he wants to get back at the one who booted him out of heaven, who wouldn't let him take his rightful And so if you think Satan's tricks are because he wants the best for you, that is such a lie too because you know what? He could care less about you and I. All he wants is for us to falter and fall so that we are not a testimony for the name of Jesus. And so who would want to come? His whole goal is to keep people from finding Jesus because he's shaking his fist into Jesus' face, saying, so there, so there, so there. He was a murderer from the beginning, not only to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. That's good, isn't it? Satan doesn't know how to say anything truthful. Every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sins? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Can you hear Jesus here? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Boy, that's putting it, that's putting it right where it's got to be. Maybe you're not hearing him because maybe you don't belong to him. He who belongs to God will hear what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't you, aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan and, a, and demon possessed? I'll tell you, they couldn't have said two worse things because there was nothing more lowly than a Samaritan. And then for him, you know, so Samaritan or demon possessed Jesus answered, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Another, another song we could have broke out tonight singing, All Hail King Jesus. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. And he's trying to say, the day's going to come. If you don't listen to me in my human state, boy, you are going to hear me when I've been glorified and I stand next to my father. <laughs> I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews explained, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. How are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So Jesus has an answer. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I am. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it 
and was glad. You know, when did Abraham see it? And the only thing that I could think of was in Genesis 22 when, when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And we know that everything is symbolic of Jesus. And when Abraham, when, when Isaac said, where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Could that have been that Abraham was given a, a deeper spiritual visual? Because that's exactly what Jesus was. But instead of asking about that and questions, oh, you're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. And this is, the, to me, what a way to end this chapter. What a way to end before we take a little break. Don't you just love the confidence of Jesus? He knows exactly who he is. Before Abraham was born, I am. Boy, you would have thought that those words and the way he said them would have just shook them to their socks. But instead at this, they picked up stones to stone, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Quinn Andy to this, long, to this long chapter, 59 verses, but I think, the, I think the message is very clear. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that we are hearing the truth and that by the power of your Spirit, we have been set free. And Father, may we live with that light inside of us. We are no longer darkness. We have the light of light within us, pointing us in the right direction, whispering in our ear, leading us and guiding us. Father, you do tell us the truth. Now we, may we be good listeners. And we pray this all in the Savior's name who makes life worth living. Amen.